Welcome back, everyone. It's a happy song. It's a happy day, everybody. It is August 1st after one of the most interesting months of July in the history of sports here in Toronto. You had Tavares at the beginning, you had Kawhi Leonard in the middle, and then at the end, it finished off with Roberto Osuna being traded to the Houston Astros. This is TSN 1050. Toronto Today, I'm your host, Matthew Cause. Haley Wickenheiser will join us in about 20 minutes. And because I have so much respect for you, the listener, I'm not going to do any of these, uh, you know, she's joining us live. No, 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 no. She joined us yesterday. And it was because of this really fascinating article with her from the Toronto Star where she covered a lot of issues about, you know, when will there be, will there ever be a women's, like a WNHL and her own experiences. And you, you, you're going to want to listen to, she was, for people who don't remember, Haley Wickenheiser, greatest women's hockey player in Canadian history, four gold medals, one silver. As a 19-year-old, she was part of a NHL team's training camp in like 1998-99. And you'll be amazed to find out who her advocate was. Because this individual does not look or sound like the person you would imagine in your head if you're thinking, oh, progressive sports guy who just is interested in, you know, in any different way of improving the game, helping the game, and it doesn't matter if it's a male or a female, if they have talent, bring them in at least for a training camp and see what it does. So that will be in about, about 18, 20 minutes from now. The reason we didn't play it yesterday, because I interviewed her yesterday, was with all the news breaking with Roberto Osuna and with the Blue Jays and Vladimir Jr., it just didn't fit. It didn't fit in the show, and it felt like we were going to be just trying to cram it in, and didn't want to uh, didn't want to do that. Uh, before we get back to my thoughts on the Blue Jays, let's play some of the Seth Rogen. Let's do the backpack one. Seth Rogen uh, voiced a couple PSAs for the TTC for free, and you'll hear them when you're on the subway here in the city of Toronto. Uh, and here's one of them. Here's Seth Rogen on the scourge that is backpacks. Hello, TTC users. Seth Rogen here. Backpacks are super efficient. I get it. They carry all your stuff. They hang on your back. They're fantastic. But when you wear your backpack, instead of taking it off, it very much annoys everyone around you on the subway. Don't be a backpack hunchback. That's not a thing, but it is now. Anyway, don't do it. Thank you so much. And the funniest is both those both the clips we're going to play for you, the last the last second is both the stoner laugh. <laughs> So you'll hear that again. This one is about people that talk on their cell phones. Hey, TTC riders. Seth Rogen, fellow Canadian and public transit user here. I'm sure the conversation you're having on your cell phone is super duper important, but not to me or that very polite person quietly texting over there who can also hear your conversation. Be that person, not the person you're being. Thank you. <laughs> just nail, like, Just nails the stoner landing. And he's right on both counts. There's nothing worse than backpack person when they swing around and they just start taking people out. It's like friendly fire. It's more like unfriendly fire. And then the cell phone. Just the level of entitlement. And I'm going to yell and scream and talk on my phone as if no one's around, even though you're surrounded by people. So throughout the question, what are the worst things you have seen on the TTC, on buses, 
or streetcars, and a couple of them. Chelsea writes in, man-spreading, which I wasn't really sure what that was. And then people sent me a YouTube video, and it's just basically dudes flopping out all over the place, legs wide open, you know, which is just not a visual treat. I am not a man-spreader. So to all the men out there, just, you know, cinch things up a little bit. You're exposed in an area that is not visually the most aesthetically pleasing to the eye. People that won't give up a seat for someone else that clearly needs it. Oh, yeah. Now, this one I got a lot of. Clipping nails. Has anyone, and I'll I'll ask the guys behind the glass, has anyone seen someone, because I've never seen this, clipping fingernails or toenails? Toenails. I've seen toenails. Really, Steve? Yeah. That's disgusting. Yeah. Do, do, do you remember who did it? Like what that way? Like, was it, it was a guy? Old, it was an old lady. Really? Older lady, yeah. See, I guess if you hit a certain age, you're like, bleep it. I don't have much time left on this planet. I'm just going to do what I want. L- luckily, it was on one of the newer trains, so you can actually go from car to car and with, without issues. So yeah. I can go as far as possible. Oh, my God. Because there's a bunch of people that have responded with that one. Anyone who does that needs to be booted from public transportation. Producer Joe, anything even close to that? Yeah, I once watched two guys going to a club, throwing in a chew, but didn't uh, have a bottle, uh, so they were spitting into newspapers. Oh, oh God. Like, with a, like cupping newspaper and spitting chew into the newspaper. Yeah. Better that than was, on the floor. That is way better than on the floor. I will <laughs> totally is, agree with that. that but it's true. The, there's nothing worse than when they do that, and then the awkward moment when you lock eyes with them, and they know that you know yeah. that they know that you know you hate them. Yeah. That happened to me as well while they were spitting into that newspaper. Yeah, that, that's disgusting. Um, some other ones that have been thrown out there. Um, let's see. El Timbo writes in, yep, loud phones, loud phone talkers. That's been a big one. Also, the, not just about man spreading, because this is not just uh, uh, Mike tweets in, it's a unisex thing. There's also nothing worse than when someone leaves one bag, one place, one bag somewhere else. It's like, people are getting on. Okay, you take up one spot. Unless the subway's completely empty. You take up one spot. I hate that. Um, I hate that as well. Yeah, the, the, the bags on seats, people eating on the subway. Jay writes in, people eating on the subway, and especially if it's really sort of pungent smells. You should take a smell test with your food, okay? If it's really aromatic, consider. Please consider. Just just wait till you get off the subway. You have plenty of time to eat afterwards. You know who's a pretty bad person as well? Mm. The guy or the girl who sits... On the three people chairs, yeah, in the middle, and then your only option is to have your legs squished in between a person you don't know, that pipe that's in the middle of them, mm-hmm. and then that gate, yeah, or the opposite side where you have four people's knees in front of you. Like yeah. you're one person, man. Oh yeah, don't sit in the middle. Uh, okay, I find that person more selfish than the person who puts their bag down on a chair. Mm, I, I'm still. Good. Here's the thing, though. I've sometimes been the middle guy, and then the people on the ends left, and I just hadn't thought about it, and I was still sitting in the middle. So that's the only excuse I'll give. All right, here's my one for you guys before I get back into the Blue Jays and service time with with Vlad Guerrero Jr. and all that. When it's the two-seater where there's aisle seat and window seat, 
I don't like it when the person is sitting on the aisle seat and they leave the window seat open. So if you want to sit there, you know, you got to treat like you're on a plane and you got to sort of wiggle past them. The window seat is open. The window seat is delightful. You get to see what's going on in the world. Uh, That person, move over. Or if you're in the window seat and you're trying to get up and leave and the person on the aisle seat doesn't get up yeah they gotta help they you. just stare at you and you know they always have like bags from like loblaws or something yeah. you gotta like squish their lettuce to get over like get up and what do you think about the thoughts of do you do that do either of you guys do that aisle you're in the aisle seat and you leave the window seat open no i'm always a window seat guy yeah i'm a total window seat guy technical producer steve window seat yeah okay yeah. good you know, I'm glad, at, at the very least, what I'm discovering, there's a lot we do not have consensus. I'm glad we have consensus on this. So, yesterday, the emails, the internal emails started coming in about Vlad Guerrero Jr. And not about, you know, three walks, not about plate discipline, nothing like that. It was about service time. And it's as simple as this. If Vlad spends a hundred and... 71 or more days of MLB service time by the end of next season, then he's eligible for free agency in 2024. If it's less than 171, or if it's 171 or less, then he's not eligible until 2025. And by the way, Producer Joe, start yelling at me if you start, you know, if I just start throwing too many numbers and it gets confusing. So that's the basis of it. It's the 171 and a half. Over that service time, he gets to be a free agent a year earlier. So then he gets in the conversation, what will the Blue Jays do? Will they call him up? Will they give him all of September? Will they give him a little bit of September? And then if they do, what does that mean for 2019? Will they keep him down in the minors for longer than he prob- than he deserves, if he's playing well, just so that they get to control him for another year? Joe, is that pretty good in terms of the explanation? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And, and the fact that they're also, like, to your point, that other year is in, like, 2026. Yeah, well, it's 2025 versus 2024, but whatever. Yeah. And that, that that's forever away. And I don't want to get bogged down anymore by numbers. To me, it's more about the philosophy. If Vlad Guerrero Jr. is ready to play for the Blue Jays. And if he looks comfortable, you know, uh, in September, then you keep him up and you play him every day. And if he does really well, then there should not be a conversation about 2019. For the Blue Jays, do not worry about if he's a free agent in 2024 or 2025. When I hear that conversation, when I hear the storyline of, uh uh-oh, the Blue Jays, what happens if Vlad comes up and plays great? You know what happens? Your young star plays great. That's everything. That's what you want. You should not be fearing that. When I hear that, uh-oh, what do you do? You play him. That's the end of the discussion. You know the teams that debate that and worry about it and, and go, oh, God, what are we going to do? Cheap teams, small market teams, And more importantly, small-minded teams. Think big picture. If he's ready, you bring him up, you let him develop. You do not restrict his growth because you're worried about control. Good teams, smart teams, winning teams, they sign their guys. When 
Mitch Marner, and I know it's a different sport, but Mitch Marner a couple years ago, before his, you know, uh, two seasons ago, the conversation was, oh, Mitch Marner, is he big enough? Is he big enough yet to handle the rigors of the NHL? Then old school Lou Lamarillo came out on like day one of training camp and said, no, he's going to be up here. He's here for good. And I'm not comparing the two because, you know, one's at service time and all that. But the philosophy is he was a young guy. He was a small guy, but it didn't matter. If it looked like he belonged, if it looked like he could compete and contribute, he's here. End of, end of conversation. Same thing with Vlad Guerrero Jr. Now, if he's not ready to play, fine. Demote him. If he's not doing it and if it's hurting his growth, if it's hurting issues with confidence, fine. But, yeah, we heard earlier from Jesse Goldberg-Strassler, who is the play-by-play for, voice for the Lansing Lugnuts. He's, he's watched Vlad since when Vlad first came up here with the Blue Jays. And, with, sorry, with the AAA, AA, with, you know, the, the variety of farm systems for Toronto. And he talked about how the great thing about Vlad was that he always adjusted. And he would go play winter ball and would be playing against older pitchers. And while older pitchers might not be able to throw with the same level of gas as the young guy, the older pitchers are smarter. They know how to pitch. They don't throw. And he started out slow, but eventually he adjusted. And it helped him. It helped him at every phase of the Toronto Blue Jays organization. So clearly the work ethic and the intelligence is here for Vlad to be able to handle the transition. Now nothing's guaranteed. If he doesn't do well, send him down. Blue Jays did that with Roy Halladay back in 2001, and soon after that, Roy Halladay was winning the Cy Young for the Blue Jays. So totally, totally, totally good with it. But don't be cheap, small market team. And it reminded me of, and we've all had this, you go out for dinner, one of the guys, one of the girls has to leave early. They do bad math on the bill, usually on purpose, and they stiff you. They barely leave enough for a 4% tip. No one likes that guy. And you can see it coming a mile away. And we all have that friend. We know he's going to do it. We know he is. And you know when he puts the money down and you, with your eyes, you take a little sneaky look and you do the math and go, wait a minute, Steve had he had three beers and the burger. It's like, what? Steve left $48? No, 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 no. Well, that's what it feels like the Blue Jays wear small-minded cheapness. Hopefully they don't do it. That's my only message for the Blue Jays. And they've been smart with Vlad. They've been smart. Bring him on slowly. No need to rush him. Dealing with some injuries. nothing, No major injuries, but dealing with injuries, there was no point. They're very smart with that. I mean, they're on a roll right now. They did the right thing with Roberto Asuna. I just don't want to hear the conversation of, oh, Vlad's doing well. Whatever the Jays will do. You know what they'll do? They'll cheer. They'll high-five each other. Because a good star, prospect, buzz, someone that we can build around. Something that doesn't exist with this team. It's going to continue to be a story in the month of August. And I'll tell you right now, I'll be shocked. The month of August, we always think that July is the slow month. Because you think August, okay. NFL preseason is going to be starting. Training camps are opening up. I mean, August is dog day month for both the CFL and Major League Baseball. At least in the CFL, we've got Johnny Manziel. You've got that storyline if you're a little bit bummed out because the Argonauts are now already on their backup quarterback and they only have one win on the season. 
But August is so much of it's going to be about Vlad Guerrero Jr. It just is. And there's no way our August is going to be July. Because July brought us Tavares, Kawhi Leonard, and saw Asuna get traded. July was a dream month if you are a sports fan in Toronto and if you work in this business. Well, coming up next, it is a dream guest. Haley Wickenheiser, greatest women's hockey player ever. Four gold medals. And she will tell the story about how, as a teenager, she got to work out in an NHL training camp. And you'll be amazed, if you don't know the story, you'll be amazed who her benefactor was, who helped push that. It's not who you'll expect. That's coming up next, right here on Toronto Today. Welcome back to Toronto Today, right here on TSN 1050. I am Matthew Cause. We are joined now by Haley Wickenheiser. I could list off all the gold medals or any of that, but really, it's Haley Wickenheiser. You know who she is, the greatest female hockey player ever in this country. Haley, thank you so much for joining the show. Oh, thanks for having me, Matt. So the reason we have you on is there was an article in the weekend all about, uh, in the Toronto Star, talking about barriers being broken for women in hockey. And it's a really good piece and so much content there. And that's why we wanted to have you on. We appreciate it. Um, want to talk about the idea of a single women's hockey league and how important that is and where are we right now and women breaking barriers in the NHL. But the place I'd love to start is you talked about, and people might not know, that you actually participated in the Flyers rookie camp at age 19 in 1998. Could you take us back to just what that was like with Bobby Clark and with the team? Yeah, so uh, after the 98 Olympics in Nagano, I, um, I got a call from Bob Clark, and he invited me to the uh, development camp, or sorry, yes, the development rookie camp uh, with the Flyers. Uh, so I actually, uh, I went for uh, uh, two summers in 98-99 and, uh, and participated in the camp, and um, it was great. It was an opportunity for me to, um, you know, see what it was like to make it to the NHL play and, and what players went through in that environment. And it also was the start of a 20-year friendship that I've had with uh, Clarkie all these years. We stay in contact uh, quite frequently, and he's been a big uh, mentor of mine through my hockey career. So he was someone who just saw me as a hockey player, not as a female hockey player, and believed in my ability and wanted to give me the opportunity. And, you know, you might not have... You might not think that about, you know, sort of a tough guy in hockey. And, yeah. Um, but the way that he um, perceived me and, and women in hockey was if you are if you can play, you can play. And a, and a hockey player is a hockey player. And so he really uh, gave me that opportunity at a young age. And uh, it was a great experience. I mean, they, they kicked our butts for <laughs> about 12 hours a day. And in today's development camps, they don't really do that anymore. So things have changed quite a bit. That's interesting. You're right. When you think of Bobby Clark, the stereotype is just old, powerful hockey dude and not someone that's going to have that sort of progressive look where they don't look at gender, just you as a player. Um, mm-hmm. what, uh, what surprised you the most about that rookie camp? I think just uh, nothing surprised me. I think I already understood what it took to play at an elite level, being on the national women's team and the type of training we went through for the, to prepare for the Olympics. Um, the volume, but I think what you do see at the NHL level is just the amount of players that are good and the amount of competition and how hard it is to actually make it. Uh, and so the, uh, I think the emphasis now, I've now been to, to four. I was at a uh, Oiler and, and then the Leafs one recently. And so being on the other side of it is just how how much how important it is for a young player to understand what it actually takes to be a good pro and to make it to the NHL. 
Um, it doesn't just happen. <laughs> There's a lot of work. And the players that are willing to do the right things are often the ones that end up making it. So that, that's really, I think, what those camps are all about now. Joined by four-time Olympic gold medals, Haley Wickenheiser. Um, where is the NHL right now in terms of opportunity for women to thrive? In the article, you said hockey is probably behind all pro sports in that area. Now, we've seen in the NBA there are two female assistant coaches, one in San Antonio, one in Dallas. Where are we right now in terms of the NHL and opportunities? I, I think the NHL is really weak. Uh, I think it's behind, in, in generally in a lot of areas, to be honest. I mean, I think if you look at pro sports, uh, the NBA has really done um, a lot of great things, whether it comes to diversity, to the business side of the game, and the NHL is, is still trying to catch up. So I think we're, we're still stuck in a little bit of an old-school mentality when it comes to this stuff. Um, but there are teams and people out there that are wanting to elevate and sort of have a, a new look on how we perceive things and move forward. So I think it's inevitable we'll see women involved in the NHL, but it is a slower rate than most other pro sports at the moment. So what you're saying is we need more Bobby Clarks running uh, hockey organizations to get this moving. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. I think it, it just comes down to, you know, do you want to you be the best? Do you want to have the best thinkers? And do you want to have the most progressive mindset um, to look at the game? The game isn't played the way it was five, ten years ago. And so I think women can add you know, I don't. I never think you you have women a part of a team just to have a female voice. You have somebody. You, you go on competence, and there's a lot of women I think who who are competent in certain areas that could help a team down the road. And so it's just a matter of changing the mindset um, that it is seen almost I think as a weakness or as a closed door society yeah. to, to to opening the doors to being interested to hear uh, maybe a different angle of looking at things and. And how we, um, there's a lot of things in the women's game that I think the NHL could adopt and vice versa that, that we can take into the women's game and do a lot better job with from what uh, they do on the men's side. So there's learnings on both sides. And I think if you're just open-minded, then you have an opportunity to really have improvement. What would be one thing if you could, you know, impress upon uh, Brendan Shanahan and Mike Babcock, Kyle Dubas with the Maple Leafs, one thing that they could take away from your game or from the women's game that could help the Maple Leafs? Uh... Well, the one thing on the women's side is, um, so the NHL is a very cutthroat business. It's, it's, an, it's, you know, players are hired to be fired. Coaches are hired to be fired. It's, it's you know, they're basically transactions, uh, almost like a piece of meat, right? And so just the uh, importance of never losing sight that people are people and they need to be treated well and handled with respect. And there's some things that, you know, I've witnessed at the NHL level that I would do differently in terms of tro- probably trying to, uh, get my players to perform more consistently or better. Um, treating treating people better. It doesn't mean being soft or no, no. or it, not being accountable. Accountable. There's just certain um, ways that you can enhance accountability and I think enhance performance. We also, I think, in the NHL, have a very old school look at how we uh, integrate different parts of the team. So the training staff will be on their own. The coaching staff does their own thing. People don't really um, kind of cross over and really understand each other's field. But I think as a, as, a, as a head coach in the NHL, you also really have to understand physiology. You have to understand uh, the mental side of the game because you're dealing with people that are very complex human beings. And then, of course, you tie in all the hockey stuff. So it's, it's, there's a lot of things there that um, 
you know, could probably be enhanced, I think, and um, or just looked at in a different way to see if it might work for, for certain groups. Yeah, and in a lo- part of what you're saying, I think, um, is that the game could benefit from a little more empathy. And for people listening, empathy is not a weakness. In fact, it is a strength, you know, to be able to feel what other people are going through and trying to, you know, work through that and make it a more positive environment for everyone. That is not a weakness. That is that is a strength that I think a lot of people avoid. Oh, for sure it is. I mean, I think you look at some of the uh, the, the best coaches like Greg Popovich and guys like that out there, why they're having success with, with star players and, and how they're able to interact with star players. Uh, but not only that, I think also education is important in understanding different fields. So skill development is something that's still seen, I think, by a lot of NHL coaches is like summer tricks or <laughs> summer hockey and, uh, you know, incorporating, you know, why we do skill development, but that at the end of the day, it's still a team game. So how do you blend both? How do you, you know, keep players happy during the season and allowing them to there's not a lot of practice time in the NHL. They don't practice much. So how do you get guys to still feel confident and, and folk, you know, with the puck when they don't get to touch it very often outside of the game? So things like that, I think, are uh, little things that teams can do to try to enhance the performance um, of players and then ultimately maybe win a few more games. Joined by Haley Wickenheiser. Um, in the article, you talked about, you know, the desire to have one central league for women's hockey. And the quote is, until the best players in the world play in one league, we're not going to progress women's hockey to where it needs to be at. Um, how far away do you think are we and are you and hockey in general from having this a reality? Well, I'd like to say we're close, but every time I say that, it takes another five years for something to happen. So mm-hmm. I'm just going to say that I, I, I don't see it happening in the next, little while but i hope it does because it's the only uh i think it's the barrier to really taking the game to the next level um you know when you look at olympic competition you know that comes every four years and of course people love watching canada u.s but that's not sustainable for women's hockey in the long run and so we need uh something outside of those olympic years and if you have the best players split between two leagues uh the nwhl in the u.s and the cwhl in canada neither product is very good um, without the best players in one league. And so I think what we've seen now is there's some, been the, some of the top American players have come to uh, Canada to play in Montreal and, and Calgary recently, and we'll probably see more of that. Eventually, one league won't be able to sustain, to sustain itself. But I'd love to see before that happens, the NHL take a proactive approach. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I know they, they, they're interested, they have a plan, they want to do it. Um, they just don't want to be seen as um, the divisive marker. But, um, you know, the way the, w, uh, the WHA and the NHL formed is very similar. So we're kind of going through the same growing pains that men's hockey did, I don't know, 50 years ago or whatever it was. This might be a difficult question, Haley, um, because obviously it's complicated. Is there one factor, is there one thing that you would like to see happen that would be a catalyst for eventually this goal? Uh, yeah, I think the one thing that really could move the needle is if the top 40 players from Canada and U.S., so essentially the two national teams, just said, we're not playing until there's one league. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then what you end up, end up have happening is you have no product because the best players in the world aren't a part of any league. Nobody wants to watch it, and it forces the hand of, of both to actually figure it out. So the players have the power in all this, and I wish they would just sort of band together and understand that and, and step up with the united voice. That would really make a difference. Could Hockey Canada, what part could they play in all of this? Uh, I don't think Hockey Canada has a, a ton of influence. I think that they see themselves as running national teams and not really uh, interfering in leagues. But certainly they could have um, probably more 
power, say, if they if they wanted to. I'm just not sure what their appetite is for getting involved. Before we let you go, I, uh, I saw a TV clip with you just recently talking about Jerome Ginla. I think my favorite quote from it is, Jerome Ginla, he will crush you and smile afterwards. I was wondering <laughs> if uh, any of your favorite moments, stories, or anecdotes uh, with Jerome Ginla, who retired, that you'd like to share with the listeners. Well, that's just that kind of is how I see I see Jerome, and he's such a friendly, happy-go-lucky, humble guy off the ice, but on the ice was a fierce competitor. And I remember playing, I think, a game of ping pong uh, against him in Vancouver up in the Athletes Lounge. And same thing, you know, it's all jokes and fun, but when the game starts, he's not going to lose that ping pong game. So, um, you know, that is who he was. He was really um, a complete hockey player. I think he could fight, score, check do all the dirty work and he was a good leader um and i think at the end of the day he's uh an incredibly good human and a class act and you know a 20-year career in the nhl i don't think we'll see that very much anymore and so it's a credit to him and also to to his wife kara for for dealing with that for 20 years too so i'm very happy for him did he have a backspin how was his ping pong game like they do because i always find i can't ever get the backspin like just when i see the, the 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 pro players it always amazes me well, you know, a lot of the guys are pretty good at ping pong. They got a lot of free time, and they've got ping pong tables in their rooms, so <laughs> it wasn't God. too bad. <laughs> hey, uh, really appreciate. Thank you so much for joining us. Hopefully, you know, in, in, in our job, it's all about content and interest, and the idea of a woman being part of a coaching staff in the NHL, you know, or training, scouting, whatever, that just makes it makes sports more interesting. It adds more voices, which just adds more content. So uh, certainly rooting for it on this end. And thank you so much for joining us, and good luck with the continued trying to grow the game. All right. Thanks a lot, Matt. Appreciate it. That was Haley Wickenheiser interview that we taped yesterday. And I think we made the right call. Producer Joe, right call to uh, hold off on a day because yesterday felt all about Roberto Osuna. I agree. I think today's been nice, positive, and light. And yeah. having Haley on to talk about, you know, the future of women's hockey and Jerome McGinley, all those positive things, I think are better to have today. Yeah. Because yesterday, I think it was fair. It was heavy. Yeah, it was heavy. And I think we did it justice. Yeah. And, and by the way, it had to be heavy. You know, we're not not lamenting, but yeah, yesterday's tone was yesterday's tone. Today, Haley, Vlad, Seth Rogen, people clipping their nails on subways. (laughs) No, Seth, that's no laughing matter when someone clips their toenails. Shame on you, sir. (laughs) Also, I just noticed on Twitter, someone tweeted out two different knapsacks. And about which one should I buy for my child? Do we really need to start having back-to-school reminders on August 1st? I feel like it can't be... Yes, thank you. Absolutely. My feeling? August 22nd at the earliest. Give us three weeks of August. It's the same way that there should be... No Halloween decorations or anything until, you know, the lead-up. Christmas. No Christmas things till at the minimum after Remembrance Day. I think it should be December first, but I know I'm going to lose that battle. Same thing here. Don't don't give me like I remember being in school and you always would remember that first commercial saying you know advertising for you know lunch boxes or pencil crayons or you know things that you know we used to have back in the old days in the 1980s when I was in school. Should not be like that. Keep it away until, give me at least 20, 21 days from now. Give me three weeks. Today's August 1st. Give me three weeks. I believe in August, 
every <laughs> child in Canada felt his first, his or her first ever anxiety attack. Yeah. Feeling that anxiety of watching back to school like Hillroy paper for 83 cents for 100 sheets. Yeah, and your mom's paper. like, oh, oh that's Hillroy. a good price for 100 sheets of paper he's not going to do anything with. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so much anxiety in August because you just want more. Yeah. Coming up next, final thoughts on Vlad Guerrero Jr. And we get back to the game that's sweeping the nation, Matthews or Manziel. That's next right here on TSN 1050. Welcome back to TSN 1050. This is Toronto Today. I'm your host, Matthew Cause. You just heard the promo. Argonauts taking on the Ottawa Red Blacks. Ottawa, not a bad team. Actually, pretty good. I believe they're 4-2, and, and their two losses have come against Calgary. And right now, the Calgary Stampeders are just beating down on everyone. But that's kind of what they do year in and year out. And the McLeod-Bethel-Thompson era is upon us. And if this one works out, then once again, I look like a dummy. Um, the guy that said over and over again, forget Johnny Menzel. The Argonauts have their quarterback succession plan in place in James Franklin. And there's not me saying that it's time to give up on Franklin. Far from it. It's five, six games. Franklin hasn't been great. He's now been benched. So right now, today, I look like a fool on Wednesday, August 1st. Won't be the first time I look like a fool. Won't be the first time I have been wrong. So that game is on Thursday, and then the marquee matchup is Johnny Manziel getting his first start with the Montreal Alouettes Friday night against Hamilton. And even if you're not a CFL fan, just a sports fan, this is a game for you. Just for pure curiosity, to see where he's at. And I'm not even talking about this like a redemption story, because whatever has been a part of Johnny Manziel's past... Him completing, him converting first downs, him putting up touchdowns with Montreal will not change that. This is strictly about what is on the field. And speaking of Johnny Manziel, we're going to play you two clips. And you'll figure out who's speaking (coughs) by the content. But what we realized is that Johnny Manziel and Austin Matthews sound a lot alike. And I think it was producer Joe, I think he put it best. Johnny uh, Austin Matthews could sound just like Johnny Manziel if Austin Matthews dedicated about 18 months to two years to heavy smoking. So let's play these two clips. One is Manziel, one is Matthews. Both sound very similar. Uh, it's good to be back in here. I felt like the thing I've been missing, you know, even over the course of this year and, and the, the couple years is um, reps. He obviously makes our team a whole lot better. So you get a guy like that, and then um, you know you got Nas, uh, a guy that scored 30 goals last year. Okay, so clearly the second clip was Johnny Manziel because if there's one thing we know about Johnny Manziel, that man loves his third line center for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Loves him. You can't have two words with Johnny Manziel without the conversation going to Nazem Kadri. Let's play that one more time. Matthews Manziel. These two dudes sound very similar. Uh, it's good to be back in here. I felt like the thing I've been missing, you know, even over the course of this year and, and the, the couple years is um, reps. He obviously makes our team a whole lot better. So you get a guy like that and then, um, you know, you got Nas, uh, a guy that scored 30 goals last year. <laughs> good poll. I, 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 was that uh, Steve? Was that you? Or was that, was that uh, producer Joe who, who first noticed? All right. Well, Narsa, you, you, you get some credit. You, you done good there. You did a horrible... 
Do you want to explain your Jaws tweet, by the way? Before I get into thoughts on the, on the Blue Jays and the trades they made, John Axford gone, Aaron Loop gone, both those deals uh, yesterday. Uh, Axford to the Dodgers, Aaron Loop to the Philadelphia Phillies. Um, on Monday, we discovered you didn't know anything about Die Hard. You basically described it as a guy searching the vents. And then yesterday, you gave your analogy of maybe the greatest summer movie of all time, Jaws. What was your... How did you describe Jaws? I said... You have spoken about Jaws, and I said, is that the movie where a shark eats a boat with a guy who's fishing, and that a guy who sounds like Mick from Rocky is trying to kill this shark? That could not have been more... That could have been... That couldn't have been... Could not have been more ignorant by you. It is a perfect movie, and I will not... Dare you hear the guy you're talking about? The character's role was Quint, played by Robert Shaw. Robert Shaw was a legend. And now you're saying he, he looks like Mick. No, he like, sounds like Mick from Rocky. Like, I picture him just like, you're a bum, you shark! And he's trying to, like, kill him because the shark ate the guy in the boat. Well, that's they're the same guy. That was Robert Shaw. Spoiler, Quint, who gets eaten by the shark. Whoa, I haven't seen the movie. It's it's from 1975. It's as old as I am. It was the that movie came out the year I was born. So to be fair, I was minus 25 when that movie came out. I've seen Casablanca. I was minus like 34 when that came out. I've seen Casablanca. Yeah, so don't do okay, my point. Don't do the ah, I was too young, I wasn't born then. You saw Casablanca. You ruined your own argument. And then there's silence between us as it's a staring contest because you can prove I'm wrong. Okay, between you and I speaking, let's hear from Steve Phillips. Steve Phillips was on the morning show, Landsberg in the morning, and sort of summarizing the pieces that the Blue Jays have got back. Uh, the haul is over. The tread deadline is done. Here's what Steve had to say. I think the Roberto Suda deal was a huge save, you know, in closer terms. You know, they had Osuna and effectively were in a position where they had to cut their losses. You know, the ownership, I it seemed to make it clear that he wasn't going to pitch another game for the Jays. To find a taker and then to effectively directly replace Osuna, sure, Ken Giles has some, some blemishes to him, right? He's a, an emotional, he has emotional outbursts that, that you don't really want out of a closer. This guy has a 100-mile-per-hour fastball, a devastating breaking ball. He has saved games. He has done it in the postseason. And to directly replace Osuna... And then to get two more prospects in return uh, is so significant to me, considering the circumstances. Yeah, I, I think that summarizes it perfectly with uh, with Asuna. Um, Bruce Arthur was on with the morning show and saying, you know, there was disappointment, but he wasn't speaking about Asuna as much as imagine what would happen if Donaldson was healthy or if Estrada was healthy and what you could have got from those guys. You know, and, and we'll never know. And now we're not going to rehatch. Oh, the Jays should have traded uh, Donaldson a year ago. They didn't. We're here now. And now it's just about when will we see Donaldson again? Could, you know, is, is there... An, yeah, just will we see him again this year? And what's his future? The present is all about Vlad Greer Jr. Yesterday, three walks, sack fly, 0 for 1. Bisons lose 11-8 to the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs. And as I said before, these are great names. These are fantastic names in minor league baseball. I'd like to see more of them in the majors. Someone said, okay, it's now the Seattle Iron Pigs. That'd be way better than the Mariners. And what last night represented was buzz. It represented excitement for a team that's had very little of it. 
I mean, what did we talk about all day yesterday? Osuna. What have we talked about all year? Donaldson hurt. Kulowitzki hasn't played. Russell Martin, I don't think we've talked about enough, is hitting below 200. It's been depressing. It's been sad. The team was bad last year. They're worse this year. They're irrelevant. They're irrelevant. In a market where the other teams are becoming more and more exciting. The month of July saw John Tavares to the Maple Leafs. The month of July saw Kawhi Leonard to the Raptors. The month of July saw Asuna being traded to the Houston Astros. Two of those teams are going to mean so much for the fabric of the city. Um, the Toronto Blue Jays won't. These are moves in the right direction, though. Getting rid of Asuna, you had to be done. Bringing in as much youth and prospects and hopefully one or two you can hit on. Lourdes Gurriel Jr. was doing well until he got hurt. He'll be gone two to six weeks. Vlad Guerrero Jr., now it's all about watching him with the Bisons and then waiting for the call-up in September and then hoping we do not have the conversation about service time with Vlad Guerrero Jr. Hopefully, the only focus I want to see with Vlad is getting him ready to be a Toronto Blue Jay. And if that means getting up here as quickly as you can for the September call-ups, keeping him here the whole time, having him here day one, opening day for the 2019 season, if that represents the best path for his development into a everyday starter and into a hopeful all-star, then you do it. And you don't worry if his free agency will be 2024 or if it'll be 2025. You think big picture. Big picture is what's the best to make Vlad Guerrero Jr. a star, not how do we control Vlad Guerrero Jr. the longest. Those are conversations for the Minnesota Twins, the Cleveland Indians, the Cincinnati Reds. Those are not conversations for one of the largest cities in North America with lots of money, with lots of corporate dollars, where when the team is winning, you are selling out and you're selling out to young people. That should be the focus. Get him ready. The Jays play their final game today. It's a three, uh, I believe, yeah, three thirty start against the Oakland Athletics. Oakland won the first two games. Marcus Stroman is on the mound today, and that's always interesting. I mean, say what you want about Marcus Stroman; he is a very good pitcher. And he always is a very least an interesting story. So the Jays wrap up their series against the Oakland A's before after that traveling, keeping it to the in the next series against Seattle. And here's my question, actually, for that Seattle series. Will their will their road games against Seattle? Will they get a higher will there be a higher attendance in Seattle? And I'm not talking about Mariner fans. Will there be more Blue Jay fans? watching Toronto in Seattle on Thursday than what we get down the stretch for the Blue Jays in Toronto. Because I always, it's the only time the Blue Jays sort of remind you of the Maple Leafs. And the Leafs are in Calgary or in Montreal or in Ottawa. I want to see what the, the contingent of there is. By the way, speaking of Ottawa, producer Joe, the Mark Stone... Arbitration news going on with the Senators. 
We were throwing. Wasn't it the team was saying five million and he was saying nine? Yeah. So the team came in and said, "We'll offer you five million, which I actually thought was a fair number. Like I was looking at some restricted free agency during Leafs launch, and we were like, "Oh, Mark Stone, you get him for five million. That's a very good deal for a player like him." Sure. And he was like, "No, no, I want nine. So he basically said, "I'm done. I'm gone. Yeah. I'm done here." Well, you know, um, first off, I mean, just when things couldn't get worse for the Ottawa Senators, um, yeah, Mark Stone. It's 62 points in 58 Okay. What Mark Stone is doing, is this like the hockey version of Kyrie Irving and Kawhi Leonard where, you know, they've got to find a way to force themselves out of a town and a team they don't want to be on anymore? I think so. I think it's the biggest, it's the closest comparable we've seen. And I think Ottawa's almost kind of a becoming the victim of that where these players have decided they don't want to be there anymore. And when you see and you know that Eric Carlson's leaving, for Mark Stone, really, what is the value in being a averagely paid player on a team you don't want to be on? Yeah. If you don't want to be there, well, you got to pay him a ton to stay. How great would it be if you could take every member of the Ottawa Senators and said, okay, we're in a little, uh, we're in a little cone of truth here. Do you, uh, do you want to be on the team? And like, we can put you on another team and you'll make relatively the same amount of money and you will get relatively the same amount of ice time. Do you, like, I would love, you know, to ask. I mean, we know, we know what the answer is with Matthew Shane. No. We know what it is with Eric Carlson. No. Like, I, I would, who on that team would be like, yes. This is where I want to be. I am planting my flag in in the capital of Canada in Ottawa. Like the ten percent, fifteen percent. If they were if they were actually being honest, you'd probably look at rookies like maybe Thomas Shabbat would think, okay, well, yeah. this is where I'm going to be a star and I'll have my chance here. But other than that, you're right. And it's sad because a lot of these players really love the community because the community was always a, really close with their senators because it feels like a small town to them. Because they got their hockey team relatively not too long ago. Yeah. But just the anger and the frustration with the organization and the ownership. And it's just become very poison and toxic. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if I can remember a hockey team that's gone through a situation like this. Oh, no. I, I said it last year was the single worst season I've ever seen from a hockey team. And people are throwing out the Leafs and some of their horrible years when they were bottoming out. But not even close. Because the Leafs were bad for so long. The Ottawa was a really good team, or at least, you know, Eastern Conference Game 7, double overtime. And then they go from that to a lottery team um, where players are either hurt, demanding to be traded, the owner says we're gone, and there was cyberbullying between one of the, allegedly between one of the players' fiancés and the star and the star's wife. Not even close. Yeah, not to mention... To your point, it's almost like a breakdown on every single level of yeah. the organization. Oh, and yeah. that's what's crazy. Like for the Maple Leafs, yeah, okay, they sucked. And the team wasn't good, but at least you didn't have this type of breakdown that, you know, the players hated the owner and the owner was frustrated with players and players didn't like each other. And it's it's yeah. almost like a, like a high school soap opera. Oh, yeah. Absolutely, it is. Um, coming up after us, it is the Scott MacArthur Show with Andy McNamara. And be listening uh, just before 2 o'clock. Diamond Dallas Page, WWE, WCW legend, is going to be joining the show. Uh, hopefully there's at least one question about Nikolai Volkov. But Diamond Dallas Page, always a great interview. That is coming up next. Everyone have a great day. I'm Matt Cause. This has been Toronto Today.